Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. My what a difference a week makes. Uh, Last week, unfortunately, we had to do a replay of a show before. Not that that was anything wrong. It was a good show. Uh, We were in the middle of the polar vortex. Uh, It was single digits, and with the wind chill, we were below zero. And not that that doesn't happen in Texas from time to time. It just doesn't happen for usually more than 24 hours, maybe 36, and then it's gone, and we're all going, oh, God, (laughs) glad we survived that. Uh, We're simply not built for long-term sub-zero temperatures. Uh, I even heard it was colder here than it was in Alaska for a period of time, and I I feel sorry for the people of Alaska. And for those of you that live up north, uh, you live in Minnesota, you live on the border of Canada, those states, um, I've always had a deep respect. I now have a deeper respect and I hope you are staying safe through the the winter. I spent some time over what happened on um, our power grid outage on my Friday broadcast I do with Kurt Chase, and I had a lot of emails if we were going to do a follow-up on that today in the podcast. Um, While that's important, I'm actually going to try to bring some folks on, either from one of the oversight committees on the Texas legislature or maybe someone from the PUC in a few couple of weeks. That takes a little bit of time to set up. But today, we're going to take a deep dive in a federal bill. Matter of fact, the very first bill that the House of Representatives filed when this session came in, it's what's called House Resolution 1, or for the People Act is what they call it, uh, for the basically expanding voter rights. And the reason we're going to do a deep dive on this is this bill will change if it is approved will fundamentally change and usurp states' rights away from states to govern elections. Now, we cover constitutional issues on this show, and as we've talked about in the past and some of the stuff when we reviewed H.R. 127, which was, it's it's an act against basically firearms, we talk about constitutional authority. And when you go to, for example, if you pull up and you do a search for uh, HR 1 2021. It will pull up congressional.gov. You can go in there. You can find it. I've pinned it to the website right now. Um, I don't have everything the way I want, but if you go to informationedge.net and if you go over to pending legislation uh, and go down to the federal pending legislation, you can pull it up. I've got that bill pinned there now. I will start having more pinned to that so you can go in and see them. But the key things that they always talk about is constitutional authority. And like H.R. 127. H.R. 1 tries to draw constitutional authority from Article 1, Section 8. And what you're going to learn if you listen to the show over time is Article 1, Section 8 is basically the, they call it the Commerce Clause. And it has a lot of broad powers under it. Um, One of them is not redoing election authority. However, Article 1, Section 4 does give the, the federal government some election authority. If you go and you read it, it says the time, place, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature. Okay, that puts it in state's authority. However, Congress may make at any time by law or alter such regulations. 
So that means they do have the authority to go in. So let's talk about what's a constitutional authority versus usurping states' rights, because we do have Ninth and Tenth Amendments in the Constitution specifically reserved for states that is not a specific federal power. And you might read that clause and go, well, that's kind of got a little bit of both in there. Where does it go through? Well, again, if they put it for the state, it's, it's there for the state, but then there's some wording in, inserted in here. So what we're looking is clarity on a federal election basis for guidance, okay? And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with the Congress coming out with a bill that's good. And we're going to go through this bill in deep. It's a huge bill. Uh, there's three parts to the bill. I'm not going to go over every part because we don't have the time today. But what we're looking at on this bill, basically what they're talking about is three sections. One is expanding access to the ballot box. One is reducing the influence of big money in politics. And the other is strengthening ethics, rules for public servants and other public purposes. And that all sounds great and fine. As you get into these things, you will find that's not what they're for. Now, we're today, we're going to cover the section that specifically deals with expanding access to the ballot box. And I'm going to give you kind of a summary of the issues that I have and others have had, and we'll, we'll cover in detail in this bill on how it goes. First off, you have to understand, um, it's, it's called for the People Act, but it basically, the bill strips power from the state's and hands it to the federal government, and that is unconstitutional because Article 4 clearly, or excuse me, Article 1, Clause 4 clearly states that this is a state issue. So you can't strip it away from the states. They can make rules, but they can't strip it away. So that's one problem. There's things in here for same-day voter registration for federal elections and permitting voters to make changes to the registration at the polls. And what you're going to find is that will destroy the ability of local election officials to ensure their voter integrity and eliminating opportunities to verify residency and citizenship. That's a real key thing. And we're going to go over those in a second. The, then you've got some issues on automatic voter registration that can infringe upon a individual's authority to make a decision on whether or not they want to register. Uh, they've got problems with the vote by mail. It prohibits some things on removing stuff. There's, there's a whole lot of problems that we get into it. It doesn't mean the entire bill needs to be thrown out, but there's a lot that needs to be stripped down. So let's dive into HR1 in the text of it. Now, if you go to congress.gov and you pull up this bill, it is gargantuan. Uh, I believe 900 some odd pages. We're not going to cover that today. We're not even going to get through the full aspect of the, the first part, but keep in mind what they're wanting to do is they want to modernize voting registration. Now, is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing as long as it's done properly. And the first thing they want to do is they want to promote internet registration. Okay. You should be able to go on in the opinion of Congress in this bill and do your registration via the internet. Okay. Now, is there in theory, any problem with this? The answer is no. We do a lot of things by the internet nowadays, but this is the one area of your vote that we have to have absolute security of the people that are voting. We cannot have people multiple, voting multiple times, and we can't have people voting on behalf of someone else. And this is an issue when you get into internet registration. So I'm going to read some things. They want to require availability of internet for online registration, and the state would be responsible, in this case, probably the Texas Secretary of State, of making sure that they could have an application that they can have assistance and that the completion and application would be prescribed by a commission and that they would receive an online receipt of their voter application. Now, none of that really on the surface sounds bad. 
Okay. Let's get into what we consider um, completed applications. A state shall accept, and I'm, and I'm reading from Section 6A, Internet Registration, in case you're pulled the bill up, an acceptance of a completed application. A state shall accept an online voter registration application provided by an individual under this section and ensure the individual is registered to vote in the state if, number one, the individual meets the same voter registration requirements applicable to individuals who register to vote by mail, and we'll get to that later, in accordance with a section using the mail voter registration application form prescribed, okay? So what they're saying is if you vote by mail and you have that process, then you should have meet the same registration requirements to register online. An individual meets the requirements of this section to provide a signature in electronic form. There's an issue right there. But only in the case of applications submitted during or after the second year, which this is in office. So let's get into signature requirements, which is on the bill. Okay. Basically, they say a person meets the qualifications if, in the case of an individual who has a signature on file with a state agency, what's a state agency that they're going to look at the most? Probably going to be Texas Motor Vehicle Division, your state motor vehicle division. Why? Because driver's license, you have to sign for them. Okay. So that's not a bad idea, but let's get into it. So, including state motor vehicle authority. It's required to provide voter registration services under this act. Then you go into subparagraph B. If you cannot apply to the prior subparagraph, the individual submits with the application an electronic copy of the individual's handwritten signature through electronic means. I'm assuming that would mean a scan. Okay. As long as we got away from one document to verify another document, I'm okay with that so far. Then we get into subparagraph C. If... Subparagraph A and B do not apply. In other words, if you don't have something on file with the state, if you can't get it over, the individual will execute a computerized mark in the signature field on an online voter registration. I got a big problem with that because what does that do? That opens up the door for non-citizens. People that either are here legally, but they haven't got their uh, citizenship done, or illegals that want to vote. And we have two states in particular that we know, in fact, do hand out driver's license to illegal aliens because they put it on the news. That is the state of California, and that's the state of New York. So if you're watering down, this is an area for a problem. Okay, so that's just one area we've got where there's problem right here. Then they get into treatment of individuals unable to meet these requirements. At the end of the day, they've, they've got this set up where really you can't deny someone to vote if they cannot prove with a signature. That is a problem. There's a reason we want voter ID. There's a reason we want this. And, and if I hear someone come up and scream, well, that's voter suppression. No, moron, it's not. That's basically voter integrity to ensure that we don't have what we just went through, which is illegal elections, things that are going out where there's no control. Bottom line is, if you go to a bank, you want to open up an account, you have to provide uh, all types of security and information. If you want to get paid, you have to go through the voting is a basic premises of what makes our country great and right now is in jeopardy. So we can't have these situations watered down. So these are things that we're going through. Then they get into all kinds of confirmation receipt, notice of disposition, just all kinds of nonsense. You've really got to go in and read through this bill. 
Uh, they want to use the internet to update registration information. Again, I don't have a problem with the basic premise as long as there is security. They don't have the security through it. And that's a big issue. We've got to get the security because without it, folks, what we're talking about doing is effectively watering down our, our full elected process, and we can't have that elected process watered down. So this is the first step that we're going through. The effective date on all this, by the way, they do have an effective date, was January 1 of this year. So if this goes through, it'll be automatically uh, imposed upon every election going forward. All right, folks, we're up on a hard break. You're listening to the Information Edge podcast. I keep wanting to say broadcast, but it's not. It's a podcast with me, Darren Yancey. We're going to pay a few bills. I'm going to get a splash of tea and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. In the spirit of have couch, will travel. Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleiner Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to the Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to the Information Edge. All right. As a reminder, this is a live show. So if you're uh, tuned into this, whether you're behind the wheel or you're sitting on your desk or uh, you're doing some jogging and you go, man... I'd like to talk to that man behind the microphone. You can give me a call, 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. You're welcome to call in, be a part of the conversation. We have a couple of rules. Number one, we don't do any shouting. And two, we don't have profanity. Uh, Either of those will get you the automatic flush. We are taking a deep dive into 
House Resolution Number 1, which is basically for the People's Act, or is it for Swamp Rats? We're going to get into a little bit more here. One of the things that uh, the next section goes into, Part 2, is automatic voter registration. What they do in this section is they basically say, if you are somewhere in a state agency database, and again, they're pulling that from the Department of Motor Vehicles, because that's where everybody's going to have if you're driving, they want that data to automatically populate with the Secretary of State that would be in charge, and you're automatically registered to vote. Now, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. The problem is there is a segment of our society that doesn't want to vote, as is their right. But what it's doing is it's taking your data and automatically transferring your data from one agency to another without your permission. So there's a privacy issue there, but it is involved in this process, okay? So it's something to keep aware of, but here's, now we're gonna get into the next one, and, and I gotta tell you, when you when I read it to you, you're gonna go, no, Darren, we're not doing this. It's uh, the automatic registration of eligible individuals. As I said, they're talking about from one state agency to another, transferring that information in here, but then they have a little clause in it, and the only way I, it makes any sense is if I read it to you. And it's called the treatment of individuals under 18 years of age. That's right. Under 18 years of age. A state may not refuse to treat an individual as an eligible individual for purposes of this part on the grounds that the individual is less than 18 years of age. At the time, a contributing agency receives information with respect to the individual, so long as the individual is at least 16 years of age at that time. Nothing in the previous statement may be construed to require a state to permit an individual who is under 18 years of age at the time of election for federal office to vote in the election. Now let that sink in. What they said was, and again, they're, they're drawing from one state agency to go through. So if you're at age 16 and you've got your driver's license, which, by the way, that means you just got it. You got enough problems on the own. This bill wants to say, we're going to take your stuff from the Division of Motor Vehicles. And we're going to put you over here with the state secretary of state because we want you voting. Oh, but now, state, you don't have to recognize or let them vote until they're 18. Okay. Well, what's the purpose of doing this unless it is to lower the voting age from 18 to 16 in states that are going to want to do this? And I can give you a short list of where that's going to be. That's going to be states where they think they're losing the vote either through exodus of population or exodus of popularity of their policies. And they're looking for a very uh, malleable mind that they can say, hey, we'd like to mold you into this, 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 and this. And by the way, our state allows you to vote at age 16. You can vote at the age of 16 and you don't have to worry about registering. We've already taken your driver's license information and we've already put it with the secretary of state. Aren't you glad we helped you out? Folks, it's insanity. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons the age is at 18 is that's when you can go into the military and serve your country and die for your country. If you're going to lower the age of voting to 16, then you should put in the ability to be recruited in the military and go off and fight for and potentially die for the nation. I don't know that 18 is the right age for that. 
I certainly don't want my 16-year-old taking an M4 and going across um, wherever endless wars are going on. Which, by the way, for those of you that lost your mind and voted for the current uh, former vice president, you know, we were getting away from endless wars. We get in now and we're already deploying troops back into the Middle East for energy security that we did not need before. So if you're going to, by the way, make it where 18-year-olds go up, if you're going to make these people where they can vote at 16, they need to be able to strap on a gun, they need to be able to strap on boots, and they need to be able to go overseas. I think that's insane, but that's the insanity of this clause right here, lowering the voting age to 16. And, and trust me, when we go through other segments, you're going to see that's exactly what this bill does. So you've got to be sure that you read this stuff because – Folks, first off, understand this is a thousand page bill that was introduced the first day of Congress. That means it was already drafted. It was already ready and it was put in, boom, to multiple committees throughout the House of Representatives to start going through the process to be reviewed by committees so that they could vote on it on the House in full. And by the way, every Democrat, every Democrat has co-sponsored this bill. And you think about that. Every Democrat. That means they just signed off on it. This bill was either sitting probably on some shelf at the end of the Obama administration going, gosh, I wish we had done that. We'll, we'll do it next time we get in. Or was being drafted last year during the process. Hey, if we get in, we want to run this by. But make no mistake, this wasn't a last-minute thing that was put together. You don't put 900-page pieces of legislation together overnight. And by the way, the representatives themselves, they don't put it together. They've got staff that put this together. They've got people that come in that want to earn internships that are doing all this midnight oil. These people that are voting for these bills have not read the bills. If you doubt me, contact your U.S. House representative. I don't care what party they are and ask them, have you read that resolution? The answer is going to be, well, I got staff for that, blah, 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 blah. Or I'm, I'm fundraising. I'm telling you, it's, it's a problem. So it's something that needs to be addressed on it. But let's get into voter protection and security and automatic registration, which is called Section 1015. And what they basically have, it's a protection for errors in registration. Okay? You go, well, why would you need a protection in an error of registration? Well, I'm going to read it to you. An individual shall not be prosecuted under any federal or state law adversely affected in any civil adjudication concerning immigration status or naturalization or subject to an allegation in any legal proceeding that the individual is not a citizen of the United States in any of the following grounds. They notified an elections office uh, of an automatic registered vote. They were not eligible to vote, but somehow got registered. They were automatically registered under this as an incorrect process. Folks, you realize what that is? That's, that's basically saying, oh, you're Ill illegal to vote. Somehow you got in a state agency and we put cross you in this process. You go in to vote and you go, and someone goes, wait a second. Somehow it gets caught. You're not legal to vote, but you're voting, but you're immune from prosecution. There's a reason Former President Biden, Vice President Biden, I don't call him president. You call me if you don't like it. 
wants these 11 million people to come in because they recognize their base is running from them. They're waking up to certain facts. Okay. Now they also get into data database management in this section, uh, how you can and cannot purge. What that means is if you go in and you start finding, Oh, grandma has been voting Democrat for the last three elections, but she passed away 20 years ago. And you don't want grandma voting anymore. So you bring it to your secretary of state's attention. They go, oh, whoa, we need to purge her from the files. Well, under this, the director of the National Institute of Standards and Technology shall, after providing public with notice to opportunity comment, they basically establish three different levels of standards that you have to have before you can purge someone from the file. In other words, the federal government doesn't want the states who've been doing this for a couple of hundred years and really the past century got good at it, getting rid of voter rolls of people that aren't, aren't eligible to vote because they're dead. That's what this says. So that's a problem right there. We got to get rid of it. And this is why you actually got to go through and you got to read these dadgum bills. You've got to do a deep dive. And folks, we're not going to be able to get through this bill. We're going to barely, barely get through section one on voter accessibility. Okay. There's two other sections that go with this that deal with your ability to contribute that you want to get into transparency, which all sound great on the surface until you get down to the meat of what they really mean. So this is the kind of stuff that we're going into uh, that you've got to be aware of. Now, this, they get into, you, you might want to go, well, who's going to pay for all this stuff? You know, these are systems. I will say this. They've allocated $500 million for states to upgrade their systems. I don't have a clue if that's going to be anywhere near but just so you know, all of this computing power is not free. All of this programming is not free. And, when, you know, to pay for all that, that $500 million, you know who pays for that. That, that. That's you and me. So in case you had some confusion of clarity, well, Darren, where are they getting that money from? It's coming out of your checkbook and my checkbook, which you better hide because they want to charge for all this good stuff. And they call it a grant. In other words, a state has to apply. So if you're keeping up with all this stuff, uh, you get a grant and you know, all kinds of stuff. Now, same day voter registration. I hit up it a little bit at the first. The biggest problem I've got with same day voter registration, it gets to you can't verify if the person is actually eligible. And I want to, before we wrap up, we're about to go to break here. I'm going to read something to you under same day registrations. What they define as an eligible individual is the following for purposes of this section, the term eligible individual means with respect to any election for federal office an individual who is otherwise qualified to vote in that election. Why not just say a citizen? Oh, cause that would tie it down. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the information edge. That's with me, Darren Yancey, on the Voice America Radio Network. We're going to pay a few bills, take a break, pick our toenails. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleiner Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to The Information Edge. All right, folks, welcome back. We're having fun doing a deep dive on House Resolution 1, the People's Act, or I'm going to call it the Swamp Rat Act. No, I don't want to be completely negative. There are, there are some good things in this bill that if we took this section away from the other two sections, shook all the dust and graft out of it, there's a few things in it that I, I think we could go by. I don't have a problem with using the internet, but you got to have a way to secure it. Um, there, I think there are ways to secure it, this bill doesn't address it and it leaves things open. So I don't want to necessarily be doom and gloom, Darren. I do want to say here's problems with it and they've got to fix it. And if they can't fix it, it doesn't need to become law. And that's what we're getting into. So one of the things that they've also got part of this bill is what they call conditions on removal on basis of interstate cross checks. Now, what that means is when you go in and you do your normal process and you're doing your registration, there's a reason they cut it off. They go in, they check all the stuff. And if you're coming from another state, they want to be sure that you're not registered to vote in that other state, that that voter registration is terminated and or transferred to the state coming in. Sounds logical. Okay. Um, and as we've seen going through this bill thus far, they want to have a lot of things that are technology driven and state agencies talking to one another. So it would be logical that if you're going in to do your internet registration and you lived in one state and you moved to another, that it should be able to identify that and take you off the role of one 
to ensure that you're properly on the role of another. But this bill's got a little bit of, shall we say, snake oil to it. One of the things that they put in before you can take someone off the list, let's say we're going through and we got everything working right and we can identify someone and we've got it all. And you moved here from Arizona and you're now in Texas and you want to be a Texas voter, but you've got a current registration there. Well, I need to be able to deactivate that one to activate you here. Well, they just eh, hold on a second. The state must obtain the voter's full name, middle name if they've got it, date of birth, last four digits of their social in the interstate cross-check, or they must have something from um, what's called the ERIC system, Electronic Registration Information Center, that the voter is no longer the resident of the state. I don't know how easy that would or wouldn't be, but for the purposes of the analysis, it leaves a door open where someone technically could vote in two states. And we heard accusations of this come up in the November election. So I think it's an area you got to button it up. Okay. And I don't want to hear someone go, oh, it's, oh, 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 voter suppression, Derek. No, you're, you're, you're a jackass and an idiot if you leave these type of things open. So we've got to be sure that these things are buttoned down before anything like this comes to because in my opinion, I think there, there's there's some good stuff in it. There's some usurping of states' rights. I think anywhere where we're usurping states' rights, we can't have that. But it's got to be clean, okay? And right now, it's not clean. So, again, these are highlights we're going through. Then they've got what they call Part 5, other initiatives promoting voter registration. And there's some stuff in there. You know, you, it's, it's great to, uh, to read when you're wanting to go to sleep. But then they get to what's called Section 1054, Grants to states for activities to encourage involvement of minors in election activities. Well, by golly, Uncle Sam's going to throw some money your way if you go get some of those 16-year-olds. Now, remember, we already talked about a section earlier that for all practical purposes, if that division of motor vehicles has you at 16 and it transfers you and gets you registered to vote at the secretary of state at, uh, you know, at the same year. Now the state doesn't have to allow it, but you're in the database. Well, now they're going to throw money at that state that says, I want that 16 year old voter. And they do it with a grant. Okay. And they're basically wanting to, this is, this goes from being, well, you, you, you're just getting cross-registered to, hey, folks, we want 16-year-olds voting. It's a problem. It's a problem. And I think it, I, everybody that I've known that's read this has not read down to this section yet because I don't hear people calling and crowing like they would if they really understood their 16-year-old baby would be voting, who may be uh, stoned half the time, uh, raging hormones, got dumped by the girlfriend, boyfriend said something, something on Facebook or Twitter, and they went twisted off into the hemisphere. Do you really want them voting? Are they really an educated voter? Well, according to this act, they should be. So that's something you need to be aware of because right now <laughs> it's something that this bill would go through. Now, they put some teeth out here and they say, hey, part seven gets into what's called prohibiting interference with voter registration, which basically means they don't want you to mess with anything. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of the nonsense that they call prohibition or an attempt, but I am going to talk about what the penalties are. 
Okay. And the penalties they put out there, if any person who violates these subsections, they could be fined under this title. It doesn't say what the fine is, but I can sure it'd be a good one. Imprisoned for five years, excuse me, not more than five years or both. So in other words, if they think you did something to inhibit someone from getting registered, there's a penalty. My guess is it's going to be a fine. And my guess is that fine's going to be enough to leave such an indelible scar in your wallet out of your bank account that whoever is handling these registration processes at the Texas Secretary of State or, in, for example, in Texas, once you go beyond a primary, you do have to have a party affiliation, which, by the way, this does allow for. And you have to actually go in there. Someone makes a mistake. They're going to just burn you hard. Okay. So again, is this something that needs to be to this degree in a bill? I, I, I personally, I don't think so, but I'm bringing it to your attention. Then they get into what's called the Voter Registration Efficiency Act. Now, this is the one that really kind of, this kind of bothers me a little bit because what they're using here is the DMVs as a, as a database really to go mining for voters. It's called requiring applicants for voter vehicle driver's licenses in new state to indicate whether the state serves as resident or for voter registration purposes. If I read it to you, you're going to go, huh? So, yeah, I, I got to read it to you. You, you, you got to hear this. Okay. If an individual indicates to the state motor vehicle authority that the individual intends for the state to serve as the individual's residence for purposes of registering to vote in elections for federal offices, the authority shall notify the motor vehicle authority of the state identified by the individual pursuant to a different paragraph who shall notify the chief state election official of such state that the individual no longer intends for that state to serve as individual's residence for purpose of registering to vote in the elections for federal office. Are your eyeballs bleeding yet? I had to read it a couple of times. What they're actually saying is, okay, you could, in theory, go in and register and have one resident, one address to be your resident address. And you could have another registered voting address. Why would you want to do that? What's the purpose of that? Other than to cause confusion when we're counting ballots. But it's there. I'm not making this stuff up. It's, it's there. And you got to read it and you got to see it for yourself because when you're going through this stuff, you're going, where do, there's always a reason they put a clause in here, okay? Understand that these clauses didn't just come out of Candyland or somebody sniffing cocaine and going, whoa, let's do this. No, there's a defined, well-thought-out reason. If they put in here that they want you to be able to designate whether the state serves as a residence or for voter registration purposes, I can assure you, that is not to your benefit. That is to the party drafting the legislation's benefit, which in this case had to be the Democratic Party. So the only way that they're going to do this is they're going to say, well, yeah, I know he lives here, but, but, but he's registered to vote here. Well, what could that do? Well, that could tilt an election. So it's a bad clause, and it's there. You can't get by it. You can't run from it. All you can do is go, really? I mean, and then 
We get into part 10, which is registration of minors, which I think we've already covered. But they went from a clause that said, hey, we're going to have databases cross-reference each other. And if a 16-year-old just so happens to be registered with the Secretary of State because their motor vehicle does it, that's great. But you, you don't have to let them vote, but they're there. Okay. To now we've got grants for getting them involved. And now we've got voter registration of minors clause. Section 1094 acceptance of voter registration applications from individuals under 18 years of age. <laughs> Folks, you can't make this stuff up. It, I mean, it's just there. It's just there. So what do you do? I mean, there's got, if, if they want to put 16 year olds on, on the ability to vote, that needs to be a national conversation because I promise you, Nobody knows about it right now. Okay. Uh, the people that, heck, the people who have sponsored this probably don't know about it other than a couple of a handful. The staff know about it because they're the ones that spent the midnight oil on this. But the bottom line is no, no effect on state voting age requirements. Nothing. They basically say a state may not refuse or accept or process an individual application to register to vote for federal office on grounds the individual is under 18 years of age, so long as they are 16. So the bottom line is the voting age via this act would be moved from 18 to 16. Folks, that's usurping up the state's rights. There's a reason we got it at 18. In my personal opinion, I don't know if people are ready at 18. I voted at 18. I, I didn't mean I was an educated voter. It didn't mean I was the best voter. I voted because I loved Reagan at the time. I thought he was the best thing that walked the planet. Turns out I was right until Mr. Trump came along. I think everybody in between, including both Bushes, uh, are not worth scraping off the bottom of our shoes anymore. So you're talking about a, a change, a diametric change in voting philosophy and it's not being discussed on a national basis. It's not on the mainstream media. Okay. It's not something that's being pounded out. It, they're trying to pass it through a bill. And then one day you wake up and you go, wait a second. What, what are all these 16 year olds doing here voting? Well, they're voting because they've been given the right to vis-a-vis -vis this bill. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Information Edge podcast with me, Darren Yancey on Voice America Radio Network. We'll stretch your feet, pay a few bills. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every, every, every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. 
This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to The Information Edge. Okay, welcome back. As a reminder, we are live. You can call in 866-472-5788. Be a part of the conversation. Tell me I'm off my rocker or agree with me, whatever you want to do, but we have it in a civilized tone and no profanity. Okay, we're doing a deep dive into House Resolution 1 for the People's Act, which is to expand voter access. Um, We went over a lot that's in here. We're going to be wrapping up in this section because we're running out of time today. Bottom line, you get to subtitle D or section 1302. They have what's called prohibition on deceptive trade practices in federal elections, which you should go, well, that should be a no brainer. When you get into reading it, what it's basically designed to be is if a candidate puts out something that is deemed to be deceptive, there's a big old fine sitting out there. So, I don't have a problem with, hey, we don't want garbage in. If it could eliminate the lies, it'd be great. I think you got to be careful on how you word things in terms of if someone makes an honest mistake, well, I, I heard this and, you know, do, do you find a half a million dollars? It's a gray area, and I think it's it could be addressed. It's not a bad idea. I just don't know that it's worded right in terms of disruptive uh, trade practices. Now, one of the things, and it's in in the preamble of this bill, and they get into it, they effectively want to basically reinstall what they call democratic restoration of voting rights. And one of the areas that they focus on, okay, is convicted criminals. They want convicted criminals to have the right to vote in federal elections. And with the exception of two states in the District of Columbia, Every other state says, eh, once you are, have been convicted of a felony, not a misdemeanor, but a felony, you have forfeited your right to vote. 
And most common sense people believe that because if you did something that you got, that means you got arrested, you had a trial, you went through the trial and you got convicted of a felony on it, that maybe you don't have the best judgment out there. Maybe we shouldn't put, be putting you in a ballot box. Now, it doesn't mean that that's not up for debate. That doesn't mean it can't be massaged or changed, but you have a whole hearted sweeping state that basically says, we're going to take that away and we want you to vote. Uh, no, I have a problem with it. They come in and they put several findings and they basically blast us and that, oh my God, we're racist out here. And we, you know, we're just denying people the right to vote because they got convicted of a criminal offense. Um, if we convicted them, there was usually evidence. That didn't mean the system's perfect, but you got to look at the majority and you got to roll with the law of large numbers. And this is a problem, in my opinion, of taking this away. It's in the bill. Okay. I'm not making this up. It's section 1402, subtitle E, democracy restoration. So understand that that's there. There's enforcement, there's fines. Uh, notification of restoration of lights. They have it for felony convictions as well as misdemeanors. I don't know of anybody that on a misdemeanor conviction, you lose your voting rights, but felony, they most certainly do. So it's a problem in my opinion. Uh, and I think it's something that people need to be aware of because it's there. Now they get into subtitle F and this is actually something I kind of agree with. It's called promoting accuracy, integrity, and security through voter verified permanent Paper ballot. Holy Moses. The paper ballot. You mean you don't have to do it on a computer scan or it could be hacked and can go through? Um, just for a little bit of, of background, Texas and Florida, which are two of your larger voting states, we all use paper ballots. We all have our counting done the same night and we are able to get it out and have been for a long, long period of time. So I actually like this. Um, so I said, there's, there's components in this bill. You just can't take the whole thing and throw it out. There's things that I would pull out um, that I think are good. And there's things that obviously just need to be ground up and pour gasoline on and set them on fire. This is the one I like, okay? I'm going to read it to you. Paper ballot requirement. The voting system shall require the use of an individual, durable, voter-verified paper ballot of the voter's vote that shall be marked and made available for inspection and verification by the voter before the voter's vote is cast and counted and which shall be counted by hand or read by an optical character recognition device or other counting device. For the purpose of this subclause, the term individual durable voter verified paper ballot means a paper ballot marked by the voter by hand or a paper ballot marked through the use of a non-tabulating ballot marking device. Those are what they call optical scanners, which you basically, you go in and you answer the questions, you put your ballot in, it marks it for you and go out. I like that. Okay. And they have a manual recounting requirements where these ballots have to be used. I, I like this right here. It's talking about being preserved as an official uh, record, uh, manual counting requirements and audits. This is good stuff right here. I, I like this. This particular section right here makes sense. And I could, I could stand on that. But then dadgummit, right behind that, they come out with something. Then you go, well, how did this happen? And they get into some, they basically, there's a couple of the clauses, but I want to get to the one because we're running out of time right here. Subtitle I, section 1622, voting by mail. Okay. This is where, in my opinion and the opinions of others, that the 2020 election system 
was defrauded. And we had a system flooded with paper ballots that God knows where they came from. Everybody had loopholes in their uh, state systems that states are trying to fix right now. And they want to exploit it. Now, they talk about promoting ability of voters by mail, which that's okay. But here's the problem. I'm going to go to the first clause right here, administration of voting by mail. And this is where it loses it for me. The prohibits, prohibiting identification requirements as a condition of obtaining ballot. That's, that's how it starts. And I'm not making this up, folks. It's section 1621 voting by mail of House Resolution 1. If this becomes law, this clause right here will ensure that one party will control the rest of the nation for as long as we take it until we go to blood and bullets. It's just that simple. It cannot have a mail-in ballot without identification. Texas right now is trying, and I'll, I'll have up more updates on that bill. I was with Senator Birdwell today. We'll have more updates. And one of the things they're trying to do, and they will pass a law with there anybody that requests a paper ballot will have the same security items as absentee ballot. Okay. And one of them is identification. You must have identification. Without it, you're basically taking a whiz in the wind. Okay. This bill, this section right here, with all the other problems that we've already identified, this right here should turn this bill over on its head. So what are the ramifications? Well, I don't have to explain that to you. You already know what the ramifications are. How do we stop it? Well, right now it's not out of the House. And currently the Democrats control 222 seats. It takes 218 votes to get it out of the House to go to the Senate. That means four votes have got to be peeled off. Are there four Democrats that would be willing to go the other route to keep this bill from coming through? The Republican Party has identified 47 House seats that they think are vulnerable that can be going through. I'm going to do a deep dive in the next, uh, next week or so I'm going to have a follow-up to this segment, not an entire show, but a follow-up of who I think we can go through because you have to call these people and we have to make a difference on it because the integrity of our election system and potentially the future of our, of our republic could, could lie on this. I want to thank you for tuning in today. Um, been a good show. Enjoyed bringing this message to you, and I want you to have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Information Edge podcast with me, Darren Yancey, on the Voice America Radio Network. Come back next week. Got more topics to go over. Going to start having some guests real soon. We'll have more fun. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Central, and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have more to share then.